Amen. You may be seated. Amen. It was finished on the cross. It is a praise to God to know that no matter how bad I do this today, that Jesus has already won our battle for us. All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, please make your way to Matthew chapter number 6. It's pretty awesome how God works everything out, how he moves in all the details, how he sees everything. Uh, this morning, when I was studying for this this week, um, what I'm going to speak about in Matthew chapter 6 parallels Philippians chapter 4 that Buster has already mentioned in his time this morning and that uh, Devon will be using to bring us his word tonight. Yeah, that's pretty powerful to see how God just works. So this morning, uh, we're going to talk about God's kingdom economy. If you have made your way there to Matthew chapter 6, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in verse 25, and we're going to read through the end of chapter 6. The word of God says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now this is Jesus speaking to us. Now, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have promised us uh, not only that we can be rid of our anxiety and worry because you have promised that you will provide, but that we have salvation in Jesus, that he finished the fight on the cross, that there is one name by which we may be saved this morning as we consider what it means to participate in your kingdom's economy. I pray, God, that we would uh, learn and grow and that you would draw near to each of us and build us up as we have believed in Jesus as our Savior. Savior. And if there's one who hasn't, I pray they would come to know their part and their need in this universe that you have created. Lord, bless us as we could read your word and as we listen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God's kingdom economy. God's kingdom economy is the title, and it's pretty awesome to think that his kingdom involves more than just this the place that we live, this earth that we live on, that uh, the Bible teaches that the heavens declare his glory. And that he has built and created the heaven of heavens. And that he is in control and in and sustains all. This morning when we say God's kingdom economy, we're going to be thinking about some specific words. As we think about how not to live with anxiety and worry. And one of those words is economy. 
Economy per Webster's Dictionary of 1828, not the new one, the old one. Economy can mean uh, the general regulation and disposition of the affairs of any group. Primary management or regulation of a government or family. It can mean the management of money and how it's spent or the arrangement of any work, as in a system of managing that work. So with us this morning, we're going to say when, God, when we say God's kingdom economy, I want you to think of economy as the way things work, the way God's made them work, the way that they really are, the reality that we live in in God's created order. You see, with the world that we live in, they have many different ways to explain the economies that uh, govern those states and those countries and institutions. They operate and manage and regulate and distribute in certain ways. And about 100 years ago, nobody knows for certain who came up with this, uh, but somebody smart did. So this is how they began explaining what it meant to live in uh, specific and different economies. They said if you lived in an economist, I mean in a communist economy, it was like having two cows. You have two cows and the government takes both of them and gives you part of the milk. If you live in a socialist economy, you have two cows, the government takes one and gives it to your neighbor. In a fascist economy, you have two cows, the government takes both cows and sells you the milk. A Nazi economy, you have two cows, the government takes both cows then shoots you. In a, in a bureaucratic economy, you have two cows, the government takes both of them, shoots one, milks the other, then pours the rest of the milk down the drain. In a capitalist economy, you have two cows, you sell one of them and buy a bull. In a democratic economy, everyone has two cows that you pay taxes on. Then a vote is taken, and whatever the majority decides to do with those cows, you do, and probably have to pay more taxes, whether you keep it, eat it, or sell it. I made that last part up. But in the Bible, we read something totally different about what it means to live in God's kingdom and under his rule and economy. We read something that's, uh, in, Matt, in Psalm chapter 50, verse 10, that says that all the cows belong to God, that he is the God of the cattle of a thousand hilltops. And that is a promise that we can hold on to, that he's in control, that he knows. And that's what's real and true. The rest of all of that is made up by man to explain how we think things are, but not how things really are. God gives and provides and sustains. So we, his children, don't have to worry because he's already provided for you. The one big question we'll be thinking about this morning is this. It says, what are you doing then with what God has provided? What are you doing with what God has given? God has made the world to operate in a certain way. He created it and sustains it, and he's ordered it to behave in a certain way. Those ways we understand, and we call those things truth. Real, real truth. It's what corresponds to reality and corresponds to the way that things actually are. That's what truth is. And maybe one of the greatest apologetics, the greatest arguments for God, is His creation and the way that things are specifically ordered down to very minute details, down to every gallon of water that's in every ocean, down to the temperature and the distance that we are from the sun, how all of these things are so specifically designed that it points to a creator. How we come to believe how those things are true is powerful, and God shows us in this world 
and we read it in his word, how things really are, not how man tries to explain them. We know how they are, and when we see those things and realize those things, we glorify God because we recognize him in them and how he's created and realize how great and good he is. This morning, this passage that we're talking about, Jesus exhorting his hearers to not be anxious. He's making this argument from the least to the greatest. I mean, starting with something small and explaining it away with something so much better. Jesus is arguing from lesser to greater in both examples, both with the birds and in those lilies. And he's instructing that we should look at the birds, look at the birds, and consider the lilies. Look at how the birds do nothing and yet are provided. And they are sustained by God who has made them and the world that they live in to act in a certain way. He has given the birds abilities to do and to gather so that they don't have to worry. When Jesus says, look, it's a powerful Greek word that I will not try to pronounce. But it means to see and understand, to be concerned with, to examine and conclude the truth that God is showing us. He says of the lilies, to consider, and that word consider is a combination of two words. That f- the first word is kata, that means down to an exact point. See all the details down to the very smallest. And mathanyo, which is where we get our Greek word for math. He uses these two words to explain to us God's created order and how things actually are. Jesus is literally saying to us, put two and two together and see how God has made things to be. You don't have to guess about how they are. You don't have to listen to man. God has told us in his word and shown us in his earth how things really are. So this morning, as we put two and two together, as we learn and consider and look and grasp and conclude, that God is in control, and that you may not worry. You'll come to the place and realize, number one, in God's kingdom economy that you don't have to be anxious because in God's kingdom, you have an income that he provides in a way he's made you and in the way he's made the world. You have an income, and that's an awesome promise. Think about this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, chapter, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, What have you been given that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, then why do you boast? Do you have anything that you have not received? And some of us, you know, start reasoning that thing out, and you may think, yeah, I have stuff that I have not. I did some things that got me this. I have a job that got the paycheck that bought the thing. But what you haven't looked back far enough to see is that God gave you the talent and the ability and the activity of your limbs and the mind to have that job, the opportunity to go. He's blessed you. You're a receiver. You're a 100% recipient of all, every inch of who you are and how you are, every inch of what you are, of when you are, and why you are. The who you are is you're made and created, no matter man or woman, Christian or not. You're made in the image of God, and that's beautiful, and that's powerful. The what you are 
You're either the child of the king and heir to the throne or you're not. You've either accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you're not. And I'm not telling you that some people are better than others. I'm telling you that some people are better off than others because they know Jesus. They know who they are. They've seen how things are. The when you live in now, 2020. You might be eight years old or 80 years old. Either way, you live here in this time and in this place for a reason. The how you are. I am 5'11". My whole life, I wish I was six foot. With these shoes on, I might be. I am not able to tell you that as much as I want to tell you that, but I am 5'11". I, have, I am male and brown hair and brown eyes, and no matter what the world tells me, that's how I am. No matter the lies that I even try to buy myself. That's who I am. The why you are. In God's kingdom economy, you're the why you are to make a difference. For his glory, you have received everything to make a difference. You have received all that you are. And the truth is, if you needed to be more of anything, then you would be because God would have made you that way. If you needed to be an inch taller, you would be. If you needed to be stronger, faster, smarter, you would be. If you needed to be anything else other than who you are, you would be. But who you are is beautiful and special, and that's who you are. And you don't need to look any other way or be any other way. God's made you to have that. And if God has so gave us salvation in his son by sending him to die for you and for me and for all who call upon his name, how much more do you think he will provide for you? How much more will God do for you if he's already done that? We have salvation in a God and Father that sent his son to die. Romans 6.23 says, but the wages, of, the wages of sinner is death, with a comma, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. That comma is grace. A really smart young lady told me that one time. That comma in Romans 6.23 is God's grace that says you deserve death. God didn't spare his own son to save. And how often do we say, I wish I was or I wish I had? How many times in our life are we like the person who would be walking through the woods and we discover a cupcake walking through the woods? We're like the person that picks up that cupcake and takes a bite of it and finds out that it's delicious. And all of a sudden they're overwhelmed with this great discovery of this cupcake. And they start walking back through the woods and they realize there are cupcakes everywhere. And they start picking them up and gathering them. And they're all delicious. And they go back to where they live and they start sharing those uh, cupcakes with who they live with. And it brings everybody joy. And it helps everybody out. It feeds and sustains. Each day that person goes back to the woods and gathers and never once thinks to themselves, how did those cupcakes get here? Who's the baker? How am I being blessed every day like this? I've been guilty of being that person, of walking through life and thinking that way and not realizing that I'm the recipient that God has given to me and blessed me and that I don't have to worry because of who I am and the way that God's made me is all that I need to be. You go looking for more cupcakes. And if you share them, 
and you keep going back, you start worshiping those cupcakes because those cupcakes define you. Everybody knows you for them, and everybody says, you're awesome because you have cupcakes. That'd be pretty cool. What you don't realize is that you've been blessed and that there's a baker that somebody provided for you in those cupcakes, and you're blessed to find them and understand. And one day maybe you come to yourself and you say, there is something bigger than me doing this. Somebody has provided for me. Who's the baker? Now you have a choice. And choice is like one of the most powerful things that we possess as human beings. It may be one of the most powerful things, uh, you know, humanity has. We choose. You have a choice. The billionaire and the beggar are equal and they have choice. They each choose each to their own that day whom they will serve. No matter what you have or who you are, you have choice. You might not be able to choose how many cows you own or how many cupcakes you find, but what you do get to choose is what you say about them and how others receive them. Jesus is telling us not to worry over the things that we can't control, but instead worry and add value to others' life with the things that we can. Who can add one hour to the span of their life by worrying? Don't worry about control because you have an income. Don't miss this truth in your life by being an intake person, by always looking for things to come in because you think you need to be more than you are. So you're always looking for the next thing to make you better. That's the intake. And that is a bottomless hole that there has no bottom. You're always looking to fill some void in you that you think exists when the, that's the lie that your sinful self is telling you and that the world around you says is, is true. You need to be more than you are. You don't. God has already made you all that you need to be and provided for you. You become like those that we read about in Haggai chapter 1, 6 through 11, those who were supposed to be concerned with God and supposed to be rebuilding the temple and putting him first. It says, now, therefore, and thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bags with holes. If you're all about intake and I need more to live in this world, then it's a bottomless hole. You can't get enough. There's no way but in God's kingdom economy, there's nothing that you lack. So look and consider how things are and recognize what you have. And number two this morning, spend them on the things that matter. Spend on what you've been given. Spend on what, spend on what you've been given on what matters. Spend your time and toil on seeking God first. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and realizing that everything comes with that promise. When you start spending on what is good, on what really matters, you start living that verse 25 life that says, that is not life more. Yes, life is more than worried about what you think you don't have. 
It's more than worried about necessities. You start living the more life, and you start doing more. You start living an output life instead of an intake life. You start choosing first his kingdom, considering. You start putting two and two together and realizing how things actually are. Like in the parable of the talents where Jesus says that, every, uh, that the master was going away in Matthew chapter 25 and that he blessed his servants and left them talents, money to do with. Now the funny thing is, both in Luke and Matthew, no one ever has to tell the servants, the servants who actually do the right thing to do anything. It just says that they were blessed and, and the master left. And the, those that did right were blessed with even more. Those that used what they had been blessed with were blessed with more. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. The, all of these things doesn't come before God. It comes after. Those that do right with their income and their blessings take their talents and time and they multiply them to give them back, to add value, to glorify God. That's how it works in God's kingdom economy. Time and talents spent on what really matters, spent on things that are true and real. How do you know what is true and real? You read it in here. This is the way things are. Everything. The things that you need to know about living in this world are in here. It doesn't answer every question, but it tells you in Second Timothy that it answers all that you need to know. You know it's true and real when you've experienced it in your own life. Like the person who came to understand where the cupcakes come from, there's this realization that takes hold of you one day. You know it when you see it and you feel it when it happens and you can know and feel because that's how God's made you. That's the way things are. He's given you this special little thing inside of you that rings when you hear and see truth. It gets you so deep inside you are overcome with how true something is. It's overwhelming and awesome. Not exactly sure what I mean. I'm going to help you hear that truth bell. And I realize I didn't come up with this. I'm not this smart. But I know that when I heard this, this rung the bell in my own heart. And I realized something very special. So I'm going to share it with you guys. And this may be how you understand and feel your truth bell. Here it goes. It feels like this. Ever thought about why the world seems so different at Christmas? It's dark and it's cold. And yet, there's this special feeling that only comes around one time a year. Outside of the Sunday school answer for what the real meaning of the season is, God has created and sustained and made this time of year to be really special. Because for about a month, everyone, Christian and atheist and everybody in between, looked to give and not receive. For about a month, the world is how maybe God made it to be. They look at output instead of input, looking to spend their time and toil and treasures on others and not themselves. They get on Amazon with the intent of making someone else happy. They walk through belts and look for something to bless somebody else with. It happens in small instances the rest of the year, at birthdays and anniversaries and other things. But for everyone, that one time a year, everyone looks 
and feels and thinks about somebody else. Some have even been waiting months to give the perfect gift. For a few weeks, the world changes. The script flips, and instead of everyone being about themselves, we all want to give away to others, and it's truly beautiful. It's truly real. That feeling that you just got, that I got the first time that I ever heard that, that's what truth sounds like. That's the bell ringing inside you. Because Paul says in Acts 20, verse 35, that it's better to give than to receive. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says that you are to look out to the uh, interest of others the way that Jesus did, giving his life sacrificially. Therefore, don't be anxious. Instead, spend yourself in search and support of things that ring that bell, things that add value to others, and bring them to a place to where they might understand exactly the way things are. If you have trouble finding this, you first find it by finding Jesus. You need Jesus first by finding your place. You can read about it in Romans chapter 12 where he says that, by the therefore I, I beseech you, my brethren. I can't get King James out of my head sometimes either. Um, therefore, I beseech you, my brethren, by the mercies of God. That's all that God has done in the first 11 chapters of Romans. In Romans chapter 12, he says, see who you are in God's mercies. And then he says in a couple of verses, be transformed. Find out who Jesus is. In verse 3, he starts talking about what you do after you find him. You don't think too highly of yourself. Not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but thinking with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You start living a part of a community and group. That's how you start spending your time. In verses 3 through 13, and then verse 14, it tells you how to love in God's kingdom. And in, and in verse, uh, I think, 19, it tells you how to start living. Romans chapter 12 lays out the Christian life. So that you can know. And when Jesus gives us the opportunity to do for him, no matter the cost or the difficulty, we have to know that because we've been blessed, we are to be blessers. We are to live the output life. Thomas Edison said the opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Sometimes things are hard and we don't want to do them. But when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he wasn't saying, let's go do what's easy. He was saying, let's go do what's hard. But it's right, and it's true, and it's real. And it's what we've been called to, and it's awesome. Seeking first the kingdom and recognizing what you have, spending it on what is true. And then number three this morning, produce. Produce for God's kingdom. Seek first and produce and make something. It doesn't have to be tangible when I say produce. It doesn't have to be something you can hold, but you can change a life today by sharing the gospel with somebody who needs it. You can add value to someone else's life today by loving them better. You can be praying, you can be there, and you can love sacrificially today. And you can't hold any of those things in your hands. But it will produce something. It will make something. What if you asked yourself every morning, what can I make today? What can I produce today? What if every morning you ask that, what difference or who can I add value to? And then every evening you looked at yourself in the mirror and you said, did I? What did I make today? I do this with my kids, and you, you know, the answers that they give me back is hilarious. 
You know, I made a picture. I made, you know, this. I made all manner of things. No, did you love somebody well today? Oh, yeah, then they actually, you know, understand that it doesn't have to be something that they can hold. That you can add value to somebody by doing and producing. Seeking first God's kingdom means seeking his way. Every kingdom has a way that things get done, the way things are supposed to be, and the way things they get accomplished. And so does God's kingdom. I appreciate what Pastor Craig said a couple of weeks ago when he says that you can always find Jesus in certain places. You can always find Jesus in his word. You can always find him in prayer, and you can always find Christ in his people. That's the way this world is, period. God has ordained this world to look and operate that way. And there's no other way, just like there's no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. There's no other way to salvation but in Christ. That's the way that it is, period. And it's really awesome that we can know that. And it's beneficial to us because we can feel that it's true. We can share that. We can accept that and know that it's real. Because God says it is. The Bible is what teaches us these ways. And that everything we do has a way that it should be done. And we should do and choose the right and look a certain way. There's a way that husbands, you're to love your wives. And a way, wives, you're to love your husbands. Ephesians 5 tells us a little bit about that. And it's not through sarcasm and picking. Me and Betsy already own that. All right? But it's through love. And it's through sacrifice. And it's through looking out for the needs of somebody else. And it's through looking out for somebody else. You can wake up every morning and ask yourself, how can I make my marriage better today? And you can do something about it. And that's good if you do it the right way. You can love your children the right way. Parents, not as a tyrant, not provoking, but training up a child, not as their boss, not as their friend, but as their parent. Reflecting Jesus as a discipler, reflecting Jesus as someone who shows mercy, who's someone who forgives, and someone who leads. And these things take sacrifice. There's a way to be a good friend by praying for one another. There's a way that you can hold a friend accountable and approach a friend as we see in Matthew 18 when they've done something wrong to you. There's a way that you can go to somebody and it's the way the Bible says and that's the way that it is, period. You go to them and tell them you're wrong, says Matthew 18. And if they don't listen, then you go get somebody and take them with you. And if they don't listen, you go get two more people. And if they don't listen, you go to the church. And if the church don't listen, there's a whole different thing that happens. I mean, if they don't listen after the church says, there's a whole different thing that happens. There's a way to deal with conflict. There's a way to love your parents, children. You're to honor and obey and aid your parents. Kids, at this point in your life, blessings roll downhill. And it's really awesome to see God working in a a, a young person's life and they be blessed by their parents because of the things that they did. When God blesses the parent, the parent blesses the kid. And that's really cool. There's a way that you work. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says that everything your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever you have to do, just go at it as hard as you can. Then you don't have to worry if you did all you can or if you did it right. 
There's a way to go to school, young people. You're a salt and light. You're supposed to grow and mature. You're supposed to learn how to find an answer without somebody leading you to it or Googling it. For everything that we do, there's a way. This will free you from worry because you know you've done it the way that the kingdom says it should be done, the way that God has ordained it to be. When you start producing impact, you won't be anxious. You'll stop worrying, and you'll stop trying to buy what the world's selling. Because worry will rob you of your production, of what you can do if you would do. Don't buy the I need more or I need to be more, the lie that says that you don't have so you can't. Again, if that's you, that's a bottomless pit. But if you focus on what you can do for others, what you can produce and what you can make and how you make it, focus on giving away what God has given you, then there are no holes to be filled. Nothing to leave you wanting because there's nothing that you lack. This is how the world is supposed to be. Just like what I said about Christmas, we're supposed to focus on how we've been blessed and about how we can give and being to others how God has been to us. Then we're not anxious because we are seeking God first and his kingdom first and his way and righteousness first. That's time well spent. If you can go to bed every night saying, I spent my time well today, that's pretty good. Time well spent is seeking first. Spend well and you won't worry about tomorrow because you will take care of the power away from tomorrow. You see, a lot of us put off for tomorrow and we create a future that we don't even want to go to. So you say, I'll do later, I'll do tomorrow. Or when something comes up and it causes you to worry, you put it off and say, I'm not going to address that. I'll do it later or tomorrow or down the road next week. And all of a sudden, you've built this great big mountain of stuff that you don't want to do in your future, and you've created a future that you don't even want to go to because you haven't done about it today. Seek ye first the kingdom of righteousness is a today thing. It's an all-day, everyday thing. When you don't focus daily on seeking God's kingdom first, tomorrow gets really, really powerful. Verse 34 says, therefore, do not be anxious. You get there by doing today. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. That word trouble means evil. There is enough going on in the world today that we prayed about earlier. There is enough in your own life to address today that if you do, you take the power away from tomorrow and you don't have to worry about it. Over the last 10 years or so, uh, if y'all didn't know, before I picked up a baseball, I wanted to be a cowboy. Don't judge me. All right, so I still watch rodeo and I still love it. Over the last 10 years or so, the best bull rider in the world is not somebody from Texas or uh, uh, Oklahoma or Brazil. It's a guy from Mooresville, North Carolina, which is hilarious because that's never happened. His name is J.B. Mooney, and he looks like somebody that Craig and I could have grown up from that went to Chesney High School. He really does. He's an old country boy from Mooresville. And when I had knee surgery about two months ago, I was watching some YouTube interviews of him. And 
the best bull rider in the world, said this. He said, riding a bull is really easy. And the interviewer said, man, we hear about what you do. You don't ever have this workout regimen where you lift weights four hours a day. You don't eat right. You don't do these things and that things. He said, first of all, you don't know what I do. He said, second of all, bull riding is not that hard. The interviewer says, what do you mean? He says, when the bull jumps, you move. It's profound, right? But the way that bull riding works is the bull jumps, he kicks his rear up in the air, and you're holding on with one hand. And if he kicks his rear up and you're holding on with one hand, what's going to happen is you stretch out this arm because he throws you that way. And if you don't move, you go from this to this. And if he jumps again, you go to this, to this, to that. But if every time the bull jumps, you move, then you move back to where your hand is, and instead of being like this, you move back to like this. You take the power away from the bull by moving every time it acts against you. Your tomorrows are things that you can take the power away from if every time something comes up, you're not anxious about it, but instead you take action against it, seeking first the kingdom of God and seeing how powerful today can be and how you don't have to worry about tomorrow because you did today you must use what you have to spend on what is good to make what is meaningful then tomorrow has no power because you've done you've not put off and you spent well i'll close or begin closing with this have you ever uh, looked and considered that most of the things that you often worry about is really things that are on the front or the back of you being blessed. The things that you care about the most and the things that worry you the most are things that are on the front side or the back side of you being blessed. Proverbs 14, verse 4 says this, Where there is no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. It's profound again. The manger is where you feed the cattle. Where there is no ox, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. You don't have to worry about your manger if you don't have any cattle in the barn. But in God's kingdom economy, he's the God of the cattle of a thousand hills, and he has blessed you, and most often the things that you worry about are things that you've been blessed with. Your manger is something that you have to take care of because you've been blessed, because you have ox in the barn. You worry about your kids' parents because you have kids, and that's a blessing. You worry about your mother because you have one. You worry about your job because you have one. You worry and are anxious and toil over things that others would kill for. I told the kids this a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, y'all are probably the most upset about the things that you're blessed with. And and I read them that verse, and I said, you're told to do the dishes because you just had a meal. (laughs) You won't have to worry about vacuuming that car out if you didn't have a car. You don't have to worry about cleaning your room if you didn't have one. Adults, the homes, 
the cars and the jobs and the family and the parents and the things that we are most concerned with and the things that trouble our heart and give us worry. If we would seek God first, we see how everything he's doing is in his control. And that the thing that we're worried about most is a blessing. And if we would just do, we would take the power away from our tomorrow. You don't have to worry about vacuuming your car out tomorrow if you vacuum it out today. Remember I said that God has given you the greatest gift he could ever give you is salvation in Jesus. What if all of this sounds good, but the kingdom of God is beyond your reach because you've never come to understand the cost of your sin? See, there's a separation and a death that comes along with the things that you do wrong. And every one of us has lied and stolen. And every one of us have committed adultery and cheated and these egregious acts before a holy God. And through all of that, before we ever knew Jesus, God sent him to save us. This morning, if the kingdom seems to be beyond you, it might be because you hadn't realized who you are and your need. You need Jesus. You need the cost paid. And you need it today if you've never asked him into your heart. What if today you decided not to worry anymore about your sin because you gave it away? You said, Lord, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I know Jesus died for my sins. And I confess with my mouth, as Romans 10 says, and believe in my heart what Jesus has done, how you have provided. And I don't want to worry anymore. I want to know today that your kingdom is my place. So we stand this morning and sing. If you don't know that for sure, I invite you to come down. I'm going to ask Pastor Craig to come up. Maybe you want to talk to him. I'll stand down here too. Maybe you want to talk to me. But that's something that you need to get right because worry is not going to go away until your sin goes away. Until you're forgiven, blood-bought, born again, heir to the kingdom, child of God. That's the way things are. It's the way this world works. Salvation in the name of Christ. He's the only way. Maybe you want to come pray about what you're worried about. Maybe it's your home or your job, your uncle or your wife, your husband, relationship. Whatever it is, maybe you say, God, today is the day that I'm not going to worry because I realize that all the things that I actually am are everything that I ever need to be and that I know if I just seek you first and do the right thing today, then the power for tomorrow and the things I might be worried about will be taken care of because I took the power away from tomorrow. Maybe that's your prayer today. Whichever way, I pray you would come as we sing.